Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in 1 John chapter 5. I've titled this message, God's Testimony. God's Testimony. This is the last message in our Abide series, and we've spent 12 weeks, it's 13 weeks now, taking an in-depth look at the book of 1 John. And uh, it's been fun. It's been very encouraging for me and strengthening for me as I walked through this book and took you guys along me, along with me on this journey. So we're wrapping up this week, and I want to set the stage for you for what we're going to be talking about over the next six weeks. The Raspberry Campus is two to three weeks ahead of us, and they've already begun a series called The Bar Napkin Gospel. And what this series is designed to do is to expose us to how to live and, and share the life of Jesus Christ that's going on inside of us in its simplest form. And so we're going to give you tools or show you tools how to simply describe to others what life in Christ is like. And it's right in line with our vision, life in Christ for every Alaskan in the world beyond. We're going to give you tools and show you how to do that something as simple as a bar napkin. Okay? So we've titled it the Bar Napkin Gospel. If you recall, as we wrap up 1 John, John writes in a circular fashion. And so in following with John's writing style today, I'm going to take a look with you at two separate passages of Scripture. The first is found again in 1 John chapter 5. We'll begin at verse number 6. And Father, I again come to you and say, speak through me over these next few minutes to impart truth, life-changing truth to these, your, your people, your children, and my brothers and sisters, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. First John chapter 5, beginning at verse 6. John writes, and this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only, not, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For these are, th these, for there are three that testify. Everybody say, slow down, Pastor. Thank you very much. I believe I will. For there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. And whoever does not have the son does not have life. I'm going to stop right there at verse 12. You know, at first glance, you look at this passage, you go, what? Water? Blood, spirit, witnesses, what's that all about? 
must be written by the same cat that wrote the Revelation. Odd things to, to try to get your arms around, wrap your mind around. But I think what John is doing here is he's drawing from the imagery that you'd find in a courtroom scene. I love, I love courtroom scenes. I, you know, my wife and I, we had this thing about uh, law and order on TNT. And man, I, had, I would have to cut that thing off because it would grip me till 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, man, sitting around watching Law and Order. Because, you, you know, you get these intense courtroom scenes, right? And you have the guy, you know that he's innocent. You know he's innocent. But the prosecutors have woven this testimony and this, this case, and they've woven it so tight, and all the, the evidence is coming against this person. He's about to get nailed for a crime that he didn't commit. All the exhibits have been marked. It's just about too late. And then in walks the expert witness. And this person testifies and gives an expert testimony that trumps all of the evidence, trumps all of the witnesses, all the other exhibits, all the false accusations, all brought to naught. By one witness. Everything else proven categorically wrong. Our expert witness in this passage today is none other than our God Himself. And that's how John wraps up this letter. It's like a courtroom scene with, with all kinds of witnesses, and the final witness, the, the expert witness is God Almighty himself. You know, when you read this section of Scripture, you see that there's all kinds of witnesses and other testimonies. And not all are true. And so it forces us to, to make a decision, to decide, who am I going to listen to? There's all kinds of voices going around. Who am I going to listen to? And listen, you don't have to be schizophrenic to have multiple voices going on in your head. How many of you know that? Listen, there's a constant struggle in the battleground of your mind every single day. And I said last week, and, and I'll say it again, sometimes moment by moment, sometimes breath by breath, thought by thought, there's voices going on in our minds, counseling us, testifying to us. Whose counsel are you going to listen to? I've said it multiple times, and I'll say it again. God is always speaking, but there are other voices that are speaking and testifying and witnessing too. There's a voice of our adversary, Satan, the devil, the evil one, the liar. The revelation tells us in, in chapter 12, verse 10, that he's the accuser of the brethren. He's always talking. He's always testifying. We have the voice that's in ourselves. And I think we have to be careful of, of self-talk. The voice that tells us, just trust your heart. It's okay, you can trust your heart. Jeremiah tells us in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, he says, listen, he says, the heart is, uh, is deceitfully wicked above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? 
Another proverb says, a man who trusts in his own heart is a fool. You have to be careful to listen to the counsel or not to listen to the counsel of your own heart by itself without seeking godly wisdom from others. And then there's the testimony of the world. And the world that we live in and the craziness is, that's here has all kinds of heretical counsel. So the question is, who are you going to listen to? Again, God is our expert witness. And his expert testimony comes with eternal credibility. You can trust him. And so there are two key points that emerge out of our passage of Scripture today. The first are found in verses 6 through 12. And the first deals with the testimony of God, God's testimony. Now, there are three dominant declarations of our Father, our God, our Father, that validates the the authority and the deity of Jesus Christ. And the first is found in verse 6. And here it is. Christ has come. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. What does that mean? How do we understand verses 6 through 8, the water and the blood? Well, Verse 7 contains a clause pertaining to the water and the spirit and the blood. And then verse 8 contains a second clause that pertains to agreement, a clause of agreement. Verse 8 says, these three agree, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And here's what it means to agree. It means means to become one in the sense of certainty and, and clarity and unity. It's the three converging around the certainty of one thing, and that is the truth. The truth that Jesus is the Christ. That he is the son of the living God. And that he has come in the flesh. These three witness, they agree. I believe that John picks up on on his training of the Old Testament back in Deuteronomy 19, where it says, it says, a single witness shall not suffice against a person who does a crime. But then he goes on to say, only the evidence of two witnesses or three shall the case or shall every word be established. And so God says to us in this passage, he says, I have my three witnesses. I have my three who will testify and validate the work of Jesus from start to completion, to finish. Let me bring my first witness up for you. The water. The water testifies of Jesus. It's a reference. It's a reference of the baptism of Jesus Christ, his inauguration into ministry. And it's also, I think, a reference to his all-sufficiency, his sovereignty, and his deity. Matthew records in Matthew chapter 3, verse 14, he records John's encounter with Jesus. He says, as Jesus approaches him, he says, listen, he says, you know, I'm the one that needs to be baptized in you, and yet you come to me. And Jesus answered him like this. He said, listen, no, 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 no. It's, it's got to be this way. It has to be this way because I have destiny and purpose and prophecy to fulfill. 
So let it be for now. Let it be so. So that it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then it says John consented. Then if you drop down to verse 16, it says Jesus was baptized. And immediately when he came up out of the water, behold, the heavens were open. And he saw, John said, I saw a spirit of God descending like a dove coming to, watch this now, rest on him. And behold, a voice came from heaven and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then John records in chapter 1, verse 29, says, On the next day, as, as, as he was walking, he saw Jesus coming towards him, and John proclaimed this. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Speaking to his all-sufficiency. Then if you drop down several verses, down to verse 32 to 34, listen to this. It says, John bore witness that I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And I myself didn't know who he was, but, but he who sent me to baptize him, he's the one that said to me, on whom the Spirit shall descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And then John says this, I have seen and I have bore witness that this is the Son of God, the water, the baptism. The, the, the water, the symbol of water and baptism is a symbol of surrenderance for us. It's a statement of our faith in Jesus Christ. It, it depicts the turning away from sin and from, from the old man and submitting to the authority in total submission and surrenderance to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is for us. That's what the water represents. But for Jesus, Jesus submitted to the baptism of John because amongst other reasons, he understood that it would be the fulfilling of the law and the prophets, the coming Messiah. I am he. And as such, he knew that he would become the savior of the world through which all of us would, to, would submit to his authority. And so the water becomes the first witness. His baptism by water is the inauguration of his ministry and the first witness. The second is the blood. The blood is the culmination of the finished work his atoning work on the cross. Listen, his shed blood on Calvary shed for the sins of all of humanity. The blood is the second witness. The purchase of our salvation bought with the price by his shed blood. The third witness is the spirit. The validation of the deity of Jesus Christ is the Spirit, the Spirit. And that validation is critical here, and here's why. Remember several weeks ago when, when, when I spoke on 1 John chapter 4? And, and I said to you out of 1 John chapter 4, I said, I said you can tell different spirits and their association by what they proclaim. 
And that every spirit that does not proclaim that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh is the spirit of Antichrist. Remember that? John confirms that here. He says, listen, this, the spirit, the spirit, the spirit of truth is the confirmation, the third witness that Jesus is indeed who he says that he is. Now, I believe that John put this in this letter because he was coming against uh, 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 some erroneous teaching by, by this guy named Serenthus who was teaching the church in the time of John that Jesus Christ, the man, as he hung on the cross and died, died just a man. That, that the Christ, the deity of, of, of Christ left Jesus before he hung on the cross. And so the only, the only thing that was on the cross was just a human being. And John says, no. He says, no. He says, the declaration of the blood is the statement that Jesus is the Christ, God incarnate, God in the flesh that takes away the sins of the world. And so the first declaration from God is that Christ has come. The witness being the water, the blood, and the spirit. The second declaration is this, and it's, and it's very definitive. It's because God says, listen, I, it's true because I said so. Just very definitive. It's true because I said so. Look at verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. It's because I said so. That's what God is saying. Listen, the word of God is going to always be true. It's going to always be truth. And the focal point of the word of God is his glory. And so sometimes we're going to have to make up our mind to just obey God just because he says so. And his word says so, whether we like it or understand it or not. You know, most of you know, if you've been here for any period of time, I talk from time to time about my dad. And my dad is old school, man. Everybody say old school. Old school. <laughs> my dad is old school, man. Here's what I mean by that. You couldn't argue with my dad, man. My dad would tell you one time to do something. And you'd have one opportunity to say, you know, Dad, I, I don't understand why I have to do that. But the line in the sand was drawn when he said, because I said so. End of the story, man. Because I said so. That's old school. Everybody say old school. Now listen, true statement. Hopefully you guys will have a chance to meet my dad here in the not-too-distant future. My dad, my dad's hands, man, they're like this big, Right? Seriously, I, went, I asked my dad for a piece of his jewelry, and I said, Dad, I said, you know, I just want something, you know, you don't wear rings or nothing. I said, I just want something to remember you by. So he said, well, go in and grab something. So I went in and I grabbed one of his old wedding bands, right? And listen, God's honest truth. His wedding band just slides right on my thumb. That's how big his hands are. So listen, when my dad said, 
because I said so, when you question him after he said, because I said so, that big old hand would, would act like a swing. As it came down and swatted you on your behind, just kind of picked you up. You know what I mean? Everybody say old school. That's old school stuff. But listen to me, man. I'm going to tell you something. I think the problem with young couples today and, and young growing families is they're afraid to discipline their kids. For fear that, that, you know, that their kids won't like them or something. You know, I, and listen, I know we live in a different world. But listen, if we're going to, to eradicate this, this, this new generation and the way they think, we're, we're just going to have to trust that we don't need to explain everything to our kids. Somebody say a good amen right there. Just want to make sure you was here. And listen, this, despite what people think and, and despite what, what, what modern thinking says, we're not going to warp the creativity of our kids by disciplining them. We're not going to hinder their ability to learn. There's a, there comes a time where, where you, don't, you don't have to explain to your kids. You just tell them to do it, and they do it because you said so. Now listen, I want to bring balanced discipline to that. Because, because here's the truth. It's highly probable that if we don't bring that kind of discipline to our children, they will be, they will be relationally imbalanced. And here's what I mean by that. We can already see it playing out in this, gener this generation. There'll be a lack of respect for other people's things. There'll, there'll be a lack of boundaries surrounding all different kinds of issues. There'll be a lack of respect for authority. Hmm. Young people, I want you to listen to me for a second. You're not going to like everything that your parents tell you to do. You're not going to like it. But sometimes you need to do things just because they said so. And practice doing that now. Because, listen, when you grow older, somebody's going to tell you what to do. You may as well start practicing those boundaries right now because if you don't learn the discipline of doing that, those as you grow older that are going to tell you what to do may not have your best interest at heart. Hmm. So why not begin today with coming in line with the authority of your parents and coming in line with what the Word of God says? about obedience. So the third declaration is found in verse 6. The third declaration is this. We are his witnesses. Verse 10, excuse me. We are his witnesses. Verse 10 says this. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in 
in himself. Remember this whole series I said that John doesn't deal with theoretical Christianity. John deals with the fact that if you, if you say you believe something at some point, your beliefs ought to match your behavior. Because if your behavior doesn't match what you say you believe, then you really probably don't believe what you say you believe. I don't know if I can say it again. <laughs> but it's true, at some point our behaviors and our belief ought to collide and produce something on the inside of us. I tell you something, every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before for me. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I got to tell you something, man. Uh, I, I know what Jeremiah means when, when he said in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, he says, I tried to hold it, this thing that God has done on the inside of me, this new creation that I've become, this transformation that I'm experiencing. I tried to hold it, but his word was in my heart like a burning fire that was shut up in my bones and I could not contain it. At some point, as we draw closer in relationship with God and he starts to do a work in our hearts and we become more Christ-like in our spiritual growth and development every day, at some point that fire needs to start burning. And as it burns and it burns away all those things that aren't like him, our behavior should match the thing that we say that we believe. I don't know about you, but there's something about the power and the love and the grace of God on the inside of me that compels me to share it. Verse 11 and 12 say this. This is the testimony that God has gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I submit this to you. Eternal life for us does not begin after we die. I believe eternal life begins right here. We don't have to die and go to heaven to experience eternal life. The moment we embrace the saving grace of Jesus Christ, we became new creations. Eternal life is going on right now and is bearing itself out in the quality of our transformed lives. And here's the key. Others get to experience God transforming our lives as we rub shoulders with them every day. He gets to be on display in us and through us as we walk this thing out. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5, 14. He says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Watch this now. I'm gone. I'm leaving. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are me made flesh. The demonstration of my greatness and my power to transform in this earth realm, I've left that to you. Hmm. We are his witnesses. That's what John is telling us today. How many of you know that? Let me see your hands. Some of y'all don't know it. If you know that we are his witnesses, let me see your hand. Yeah. John ends this letter with, in a very powerful way. 
As a matter of fact, I think the entire application of this letter can be summed up in these last two passages that we're going to explore, verses 13 through 15 and then 20 through 21, because they speak of the assurance that we have in him. And, and there are three points to this assurance that I believe should lead us to confidence in him. And the first is this, the assurance that we have because we know we have eternal life. John writes in verse 13, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. Remember that word know is gnosko. It means to, to experience, to understand through experience, that you might know through your experience walking with him daily that you have eternal life. It's a supernatural quality of life that's on display now and will be on display in the days to come and in the ages to come. And again, eternal life in the presence of God doesn't begin when we go to heaven, family. It begins right here, right now, as we live out this life. John says because we have it, we can have that assurance. Hmm. We have an assurance because we have access to God through prayer. And this is the confidence, John writes in verse 14, that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Confidence in this, in this, in this passage, this word confidence in the Greek means to, the ability to come boldly, to speak boldly. We're to have confidence as we are praying the will of God. What does that look like? Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 when, he's, when his, his disciples said, Master, teach us to pray. Jesus starts to teach them how to pray, and then he gets to the spot. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it brings me to a point. The main reason for prayer is for me to be able to align my will with the will of God. That's what prayer does. So that the Father's will can be expressed through my life and my life will tell the truth about the will of God. That's what prayer does. Prayer is a constant communication between two people that are in love. I love God. He loves me. And we commune. We dine. We fellowship. We talk. He instructs me. I listen. I follow. As I'm going through things, I talk with him. I share my grief. He says, walk with me. Talk with me. Let me, let me show you the unforced rhythms of grace as you do that. Prayer brings us into alignment with God's perfect will for us. And third reason is because we have the truth. John writes in verse 20, he says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. And in his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. 
John instructs us in verse 20 that we can know and we are to know the truth. As a matter of fact, he uses this word true three times in, these, in those two sentences. He says, you know that it's true that, that God has given you the understanding of who he is. And he begins to unfold that and unlock that more and more as you, as you dine and fellowship with him, commune with him. And because we know it's true, because we know the truth, we should not be so easily persuaded, be so easily be persuaded against anything that's other than the truth. I believe that we're without an excuse. And that if we fail to believe anything other than then the truth that is shared in this word is our own fault. And here's why. John tells us why. Because we bear his resemblance. We're a new creation in him. We, we carry his spiritual DNA on the inside of us, and, and we have it, and we're carriers of his glory. And he's alive in us right now, today, active. And so listen to me. We are without excuse if we become persuaded by another doctrine that doesn't match up with this word. We're without an excuse if we begin to believe any doctrine that's contrary to what's written in this book. We have no excuse because we have the Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of us. He is the mighty counselor. He's the comforter. And look at what the Bible says. When the comforter comes, he will lead you and guide you into all truth. All we have to do is trust him. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. Man, I love this stuff. Don't you love the word of God? John gives us a final warning in verse 21. And Jose, you could bring your team up. He says this. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now, it's believed that when this letter was written that it was originally circulated to the churches around the city of Ephesus. And it was circulated because, if you remember, Ephesus was saturated with idolatry and idol worship. They worshipped the goddess Artemis. We better know her as Diana. And, and it was saturated, that, that whole region was saturated with idol worship and all kinds of those, all kinds of jacked up theologies had crept its way into the church. And so John, John issues a strong warning. He says, listen, he says, I love you enough, you little children, beloved, born of God, to share with you. Be careful of the imitation and the artificial. Keep yourselves from idols. Born ones, born of him, 
Keep yourself from idols. And so the question is, why would you go after idols if you have the real thing living on the inside of you? And an idol is anything that you place in the position where God should be in your life. It could be a job, it could be a car, it could be a spouse or children, it could be money, it could be anything. Anything that sits on the throne of your heart is an idol. And so John says, he says, my, my, my dear ones, born of God, check yourselves and make sure that the only person occupying the throne of your heart is God. Keep yourself from idols. And as I close today and I close this book, there is one central theme that permeates this entire series. And that theme is this, that Jesus Christ is all we need. That he's more than enough. And that he wants to share with us and be with us in an abiding relationship. All you have to do is let him.